Hello, and thank you for tuning in to the very first episode of Dear Asian Americans. My name is Jerry Wan, and I will be your host through the show as we meet and learn from some amazing Asian Americans that I am lucky to call my friends. Our goal here is to really be able to share stories that aren't being shared today with the goal of celebrating, supporting, and inspiring each other. And before we officially start the show, I want to say a few things about how I ended up starting this show and to highlight some of the people in my life without whom the show would not be possible. It's March 2nd, 2020, and it is my daughter Charlotte's first birthday. So Charlotte, happy birthday. I love you. Alma loves you. We all love you. This show is my gift to my daughter on her first birthday. And it is my hope that Charlotte, Jacob, and all the other children in our community hear stories from people who look and sound like them and to be really inspired to dream as big as they possibly can and to go and make a positive impact in the world because they know that somebody else paved the way for them. So happy birthday, Charlotte. Amma I love you. All your aunts and uncles who are going to come on this show love you so much. And I promise to keep the show going for a long time so that one day I'll be able to interview you on the show, Charlotte. First and foremost, I want to thank my wife, Kyungwa, who from day one has been my biggest supporter, somebody who's believed in my vision and the necessity to share our Asian American stories that we did not grow up hearing and believe in the cause that we need to be able to amplify our stories, not just for our kids, but for so many of us who are in the midst of transitions in life and difficult challenges, and to really believe in the importance of us being able to share our own unique Asian American stories to my mom, to my dad, and my brother, and to Kyungwa's parents and her two sisters, Hewa and Lois, without whom we don't have our own Korean-American and Asian-American stories to tell. Thank you for making the sacrifices that you continue to make for us, for our kids, and for so many who look and sound like us. We really owe you so much. And through this show, I hope that we are able to show a little bit more of our gratitude and our perspective on for all the sacrifices that our families have made. And I want to thank our first five guests who you'll meet this week, who said yes and decided to be a guest on a show that didn't even exist yet. To Jonathan Wong, to Cassandra Lam, to Rajiv Satyal, to Trisha Sakuja Walia, and to Paul P.K. Kim. Thank you so much for believing in what I believe in and coming on and sharing your own unique Asian American story with me and with all of us. I am so excited for you to meet and hear their story, so come back every day this week. Meet my fellow Asian Americans who have inspired me so much through this process. And to the team behind the Asian Americans who make this show possible, thank you so much. And I want to thank Jason Liu for putting my idea into an amazing logo and brand. I want to thank Allison Chang, our editor, for making the podcast sound good. 
And special thanks to Justin Park and to Peter Hong of Studio 5A for letting us use your music to introduce the show. And to all of you, thank you so much for allowing us to come and share our Asian American stories with you. And now, I am so excited to share with you all Episode 1 of Dear Asian Americans. Asian Americans, let's celebrate, let's support, let's inspire. Welcome everybody to episode one of Dear Asian Americans. I'm your host, Jerry Wan, and today I am so excited to share my conversation with Jonathan Wong, the executive director of USC's Asian Pacific American Student Services. Through my conversation with Jonathan, we'll talk about his family upbringing in the San Jose area and how he navigated his way through college a brief career in operations, and to eventually where he is now, helping fellow Asian Americans in college and beyond find their place in the world and to make sense of their identity. I really enjoy getting to know Jonathan through this process, and this one's special for me because USC's APAS office is where I began my adult Asian American journey when I was a freshman at USC 20 years ago, and we founded the Korean American Student Association which still has a very profound impact on my life. So thank you for joining us again today, and I really hope you enjoy this episode with Jonathan Wong. My name is Jonathan Wang. I am a second-generation Taiwanese-American here at the University of Southern California. I've been at USC for almost 10 years now, got my master's and my doctorate here in education, and I've been working uh, professionally at the university for about seven to eight years now. So you are the executive director of the Asian Pacific American Student Services. Yeah. Um, what does the office do and how do you serve the students here? Yeah, so we have a twofold mission. Um, our main mission is to uh, engage the Asian Pacific American community here on campus. Um, that encompasses our Asian American Pacific Islander and Desi American students. All students are welcome, undergraduate, graduate. And what we're really trying to do is have a community space available for them so they feel like they have a place on campus called home. We really focus on doing very intentional programming, mentorship, leadership development, career development, things that in a student's career they could benefit from. And then beyond that, also have a space available for them where they can meet with other students, have a place hopefully that they can feel a little bit more comfortable in, and maybe shed off some of the stress and pressures that they might feel at the, at the larger university. Secondly, we also engage with a larger community here. So we're not just for Asian American Pacific Islander students, we're really here for all the whole campus and engaging in the conversations about how do cultures and how do differences play a role in all of our lives and how we can better inform and educate others about just how we exist here on campus as well. I'm particularly excited to talk to you today because obviously you have a lived in experience as a uh, Taiwanese American person growing up in California and going to various schools and then through the profession. And now you have the perspective of working with students from the other side, but also having the, uh, the luxury and the privilege to have a little bit of an understanding of where they're coming from because we have similar themes through our, our shared experiences. We're sitting at the APAS office here on campus. Yep. For me, this is a very special place because I came here as a student 20 years ago now. 
And it was physically in this office where we filed a charter when we used to have physical file cabinets, the charter (laughs) for the Korean American Student Association, which was the Korean club that I helped to found my freshman year and has been uh, not only a big influence on my life personally, Mm -hmm. um, but has was one of the uh, sparks or, um, you know, big things that have happened in my life to help me get more into my Korean identity, mm-hmm. uh, positive Korean identity and what that means, you know, as a responsible community member mm. and, and to get involved. So it is extra special for me to be here today and to be talking to you. Mm. And we also share initials, which I think are cool. <laughs> but let, let's take, you know, let's start a little bit earlier. And how did the the Wong family come to America and share with us a little bit about the first couple chapters of your Asian American experience? Yeah. So I was born and raised in the Bay Area grew up in the South Bay and the Peninsula. My parents were actually not affiliated with the tech industry at all. They came over in the early 80s um, from Taiwan and both actually worked in the restaurant industry. So I grew up as a son of a Chinese restaurant owner. I lived there every weekend, almost every weeknight. I would have some exposure to the Chinese restaurant um scene which i loved and i think that's where my passion for a lot of food has come from and as well as cooking and in that journey um it's only recently in the last eight years as i was going as i've been going through usc meeting with more students there's a unique subset of us that actually grew up in this life the new york times actually had an article recently about the death of chinese restaurants and it's really these immigrant families who started their lives here building building lives through these Chinese restaurants and not wanting their sons, daughters, children to continue on in that work. And so sadly, we see a lot more of these Chinese restaurants dying away. But for many of these owners, and the New York Times article kind of points to this, it's a, it's a blessing for them because they're seeing their children do something different and something more to where they thought their children would have be able to pursue their dreams. And so um, both my parents immigrated here. When I think when I was growing up, I was in a predominantly Taiwanese American community with predominantly Taiwanese American family, friends and culture. And so that's where I was really able to kind of understand who I was, not necessarily ever challenged in that either. Um, And so I think that was an interesting perspective that I was surrounded much of the time through elementary, secondary, and high school with Asian American friends, Asian American culture. So that was, um, I had a wealth of that. And now I appreciate a lot more of that because I think that helped hone and understand who I who I was and who I am. It wasn't until college, I went to UC San Diego. Um, it wasn't until college where I really started challenging that and understanding, oh, there's much more out there. At that time, and continues to be, UC San Diego, I think, was like 35% or 40% Asian American. And so I still didn't feel that big push or challenge to, you know, have to identify myself. Definitely had a lot of Asian American friends, um, did a lot of Asian American things, but also did a a bunch of other things that weren't necessarily tied to that. So unlike you, who started the Korean American Student Association, I never joined the Taiwanese American Student Student Association at UCSD. Never felt the need to do that. and I think there's a difference. I think there is a, I think there is a point in some of our lives, earlier or later, where we want to learn more about ourselves, 
And if it happens in college, I think we sometimes associate associate ourselves with these student organizations. And that's where you find a lot of the joy, community, a lot of the fun, but also a lot of where you find the your friends, where you find the most support in. These are people who you don't have to explain yourself to, which sometimes is a blessing in itself, where you don't have to explain for you what Korean culture is and the pressures of being Korean, uh, Korean American to Korean American parents. And for me, um, it wasn't until probably in my master's where I really started understanding myself as what does it mean to be Asian American here? What does it mean to be Taiwanese American? And that happily coincided with my time as a master's student, my time here at APAS. And so similarly, I found myself in this space like you are right now and like we are sitting here right now and just feeling so much more fulfilled of who I get to be, what I want to do, and how I can kind of give back to those students um, who are also searching. That's awesome. I, you know, you talked about food earlier, and I think the familiarity in the cultural context, particularly at a time in college where there's so much stress and there's so much newness and um, the unknown. I think one of the things that you know we don't necessarily actively think about is, am I friends with people for whom our comfort food list is very similar? So whether you're, you know, studying and need late night food or, mm-hmm. you know, when you go out to party and, you know, the hangover foods, like, <laughs> are, are those things aligned? Yes. And, and, you know, it, it's weird because I think, you know, when you also think about that as an adult of the people that you associate with or, you know, people you want to marry or how you raise your kids, you know, food becomes such an integral part of it. Yeah. And how did your parents, if they did, encourage you or, you know, ask you, not question you per se, but... Did they find your career choice in higher education, in particular, learning more about the Asian American identity? And I ask that because I think a lot of our immigrant parents, as well-intentioned as they were, I think the if they had to choose, it was assimilate over finding mm-hmm. identity. Yeah. And so I'm very curious to learn about your journey and if your parents encouraged or had something to say in between. Yeah, I resonate with that a lot. I think the understanding of how you exist within the United States coming from an immigrant background, being an immigrant yourself, or um, being the children of immigrants. I think the idea of assimilation is sometimes um, something safe for you to do. That if you can fit in, you don't stand out as much. And I think specifically, particularly for Asian Americans, we've taken that and really, really thought about, okay, what are the safe jobs? What are the safe careers for us? Um, Some of it is, you know, if you wanted to be that doctor, that lawyer, that engineer, those were all fine careers. And that's something definitely that folks should be um, proud to be in. Um, And we should celebrate that as well. But for my parents, I think coming from a different perspective, being here in the 80s, being in the restaurant industry, service industry specifically, and not necessarily being in the tech field or the medical field um, or engineering field, they, for my, my, I have a younger brother, um, for my brother and I, I think it really became, what makes us happy? What what fulfills us? And I think when we're able to explain how this type of work fulfills us, fun fact, my brother also works in higher education. Both of us are in higher education at different institutions. But for both of us, I think it's that sense of giving back and that sense of supporting others and helping others and nurturing others. And for my mom, I think seeing how we're interacting and how sometimes happy we are in the work that we do um, reassures her much more than if we were to be put in a position that we didn't want to be in 
we were we were going to be in a career. I graduated from UC San Diego with a business degree. They didn't have a business major there, so I was in the economic side, operations management. I thought I wanted to do that. I was told I should be doing that. And then the more I thought about it, the more I was just sitting behind an Excel or behind an Excel sheet at a desk and just trying to balance these Excel sheets. And that was my life. And I didn't have to talk to anybody all day. And that's what I just had to be to do. And I think at some point I was just like, that's not what I want to do. I could do it. I'm great at it. I can balance these Excel sheets. I can do a V lookup for you if you want to do it right now. And it's helped me in my career currently, but I don't think I would have been as fulfilled or happy and explain that to my mom while difficult because I think from her from her lens and from her experiences, it's very much what is a safer thing to do? What is what is something that we will make sure that I can have a steady income or feel like I have some stability in life? Education might not always be that for folks, um, but the more that you can explain it, the more that you can connect back to it. I think it's fascinating. There, there definitely is going to be at least one listener right now staring at Excel trying to figure oh, yeah. out a VLOOKUP, either smiling or crying. Um, and as somebody who uh, lived and died by Excel and PowerPoint myself, uh, I smile and cry at the same time. Um, so I, I think it's fascinating that you've gone through that journey and um, pivoted here and you deal with Asian American, Asian Pacific American students here on campus yeah. every day. What you share about our parents' desire to provide us a safe future or a, you know, what do we make of their sacrifice mm. really is is the big key question in mm -hmm. the minds of immigrant parents. I've thought a lot about the duality between gratefulness, gratitude towards a sacrifice, mm -hmm. but not necessarily tying our actions to that. Mm -hmm. Meaning, mom, thank you for coming here and dad, thank you for coming here and working your ass off. I don't want to study what you want me to study, mm -hmm. nor do I want to go to XYZ grad school. Yeah. I think that's something that a lot of our peers even um, perhaps went down that path. Um, unfortunately, I think we tie a lot of good attributes like respect, honor, mm -hmm. and obedience to doing what our parents tell us to do professionally. Right. Um, from the perspective of somebody who deals with students today in 2020, has that changed much since maybe you and I grew up? Are students feeling more free or empowered to do the things that they want to do? Mm. I think there's a lot more opportunity. And I think being able to describe what that opportunity can mean for you and what success can look like for you in that, in these various ways. It might not be the traditional ways we think about anymore, um, but there is that overarching sense of how do I maintain that stability? How do I make sure that I'm doing my parents proud in some extent. Um, we run a leadership program here um, and we have a uh, retreat at the end of the program. Um, and almost without a doubt, every time we have students in that space and we start going through the final um, activities we do with them, a lot of it touches upon culture. A lot of it touches upon this idea of um, values and have how, how values have been passed down. Um, it always inevitably ends up with, you know, I feel guilt and I don't know where this guilt is coming from. And that's something that you might want to process with a therapist a lot more than, you know, in a um, setting with me and other students and peers. But you start seeing a lot of shared understanding with each other in a room of Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders of what 
it means to be here, what it means to have to be uh, studying a certain thing that you might not be passionate about, um, and how do you break free from that? Um, and there might not always be a clear-cut answer there. I think for each one of us, it's an exploration of self and identity and who we want to be. Um, I tell my students that you're going to choose the best decision for yourself, whether that include whether or not that includes external factors like your parents or culture or family. That's up to you. Not all students are going to feel that. There are some students who are doing amazing, um, and because they they just feel great about what they're trying to do. Other students are still trying to figure it out, and that's going to take some time. It took me until after graduation, um, two years after graduation, to kind of come back into the engineer education field, not engineering. And that's that was a lot of I think pain and worrying, but with time, I think it made a lot more sense for everyone. The students you deal with here, though, at USC are self-selected group of students, whether by choice or pressure, as we just talked about,、mm-hmm. who have decided to attend the university, such as USC, and there's you know countless other you know institutions out there. How does that play a role into? That's already one layer of one thing that、yep. they have done, whether by choice or by pressure or feeling of obligation. So. When when you talk to students, what what is the sense of even that? Like, should I have come to school in the first place, or should I have just gone to art school, or just grabbed a microphone, or、yeah. turned on my camera? Yeah. Um, I think there is a sense of, especially at a university like ours, and many other universities, is how does the university operate in terms of being a more high highly selective elite status university institution, um, and how that feeds into this idea of success. Um, success sometimes is very narrowly defined, and then when you add on a layer of being Asian American and your identity, that success is even more constrained、um, to the one or two fields that、um, is are deemed successful, and that's a very difficult mold to break from, and very difficult to kind of understand、um, what are other paradigms. How do other paradigms of success look like for you? In in those cases, I think a lot of the students that we talk to are struggling with more stress, with more、um, anxiety and depression, with more signs of needing extra support because they've never had to have such had had these conversations、um, and be able to kind of step away from their parents and for the first time kind of think independent independently and individually for themselves, and it's. Not always the easiest place to be in,、um, and that's what sometimes I feel like we get to play a role in here at APAS in in that development of self, in that support of of support of those students who are looking for what is their what is their journey going to look like here.、Um, it's interesting that we bring this up. You bring this up right now.、Um, I'm not sure if you're part of the Satellizing Traits Facebook group.、Um, I enjoy the memes. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's a recent post actually from a alum of USC, I think a recent grad, who just kind of picked up their life and moved to New Zealand, or decided to move to New Zealand. They were not happy. They thought coming to a university like ours, doing what would would what is safe and deemed successful, would give them fulfillment and success later in life after graduation, and they didn't find that. And I think that's a failure of the institution. I think it's a failure of many of what we think. Is oh well, yeah. You go to USC, you must be doing well. 
you know, you're going to be a new entrepreneur. You're going to do that. You're going to do this. Everything's going to be fine because you have all of these accolades. You have all this merit and none of it matters in the end um, because you never found out who you wanted to be yourself. You never really determined who you are as an individual. Um, you never were given the opportunities. Um, and so in those cases, I've read that and it was, it was thought provoking because I think a lot of you read the comments and everybody else is thinking the similarly. All these Asian American students, mostly students, I don't know the age ranges of subtle Asian traits anymore. All these Asian Americans, Asians overall, are thinking very similarly. They're thinking, I don't want to do what I'm doing right now, but I don't know what else I could be doing. What you said is, a, you, you mentioned the term failure of the institution, but that sort of education and mindset begins way earlier mm -hmm. at, at home, in our communities, in our churches, in our extended family gatherings. How do we tackle that? We have to understand the system and the culture and the society that we exist in as well. Um, that it's not necessarily our doing um, to be in this position, that there's a larger cultural societal um, pressure for Asian Americans at large to fit in. And I think, again, it goes back to when our parents or our families or our ancestors were first Im immigrating here, the easier thing to do was to fit in somewhere. The easier thing to do to mold themselves into this idea of what the American dream, quote unquote, looks like, could look like, was to try to fit in. Um, and we don't necessarily have those same pressures anymore. Um, they might have passed those on to us, that idea, those ideals, but we might not value that. We, we're valuing something different, um, and that could look different. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's wrong. It's just harder to identify what success could look like when you don't, when it doesn't fit the mold of what we've known success to be. I think the fitting in notion is, is so fascinating. So I, I came here uh, when I was eight. Um, tomorrow actually marks our uh, 28th anniversary of coming to America. Um, and so I was not born with the name Jerry. And I was given the name um, by my parents. Mm. Um, fun fact, I'm named after the mouse because I, I couldn't sit still. Nice. Um, very, very active child and very active adult still. But even that, I think, is very telling of the way that our parents collectively mm. viewed our place in the American society because our names weren't American friendly, mm -hmm. perhaps hard to spell, mm -hmm. definitely harder to pronounce, but they perhaps foresaw that our place in academia or in corporate life, yeah. why add one more thing to make your life a bit more of a challenge and we can get rid of that by giving you a brand new name. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I don't, I have not studied that. I just think it's an observation that I've seen. What I do also think is fascinating on the same uh, topic of names is that none of my Indian American friends have American names. Hmm. They have Indian names that translate and Romanize and spell it in English. Yeah. And it's like completely the norm in that community. Um, but particularly in, I've observed in the Korean and Chinese American communities, you have an English name and then you have your cultural name. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we, we go back and forth in that. So I think it's, um, or better yet, when you know people who don't pick up English names, they just pick up the initials. Mm -hmm. And when they meet people at school or at work, they just say, "Oh, you know, call me JH." 
Yeah. You're like, well, what's your real name? And yeah. that matters, right? So yeah. um, identity matters and respecting, you know, I was just thinking, you know, the, the coach of the Duke basketball team is Mike Shevchesky, but his mm-hmm. it starts with a K. Mm-hmm. And it's like, America, if we can pronounce that, yes. you can pronounce my name. Yeah. So I, I think it's interesting, you know, our parents collectively, um, very well-intentioned, obviously moving here for many of them was we were, or the future generations, whether you were born here or not, um, part of the equation of providing a better life. Yeah. And and so who gets to define what that better life is and what generation you grew up in and how that informs your definition of that, I, I think is truly fascinating. Yeah, There might be a lot of listeners, whether in college or in early career, who did not have the opportunity to have come across an office such as APAS here at USC. I know from personal experience and and from talking to you many times, we are one of the very, very few yeah. schools who actually has a cultural student center. Mm-hmm. Um, I grew up with it, so it's it's a privilege that I recognize. And um, you're obviously leading the efforts here with you know a, a great staff. Um, how can those students or those young professionals yeah. find support like this when it's not institutionalized where they are? Yeah. I think it's one of the privileges of being on the West Coast as well, and particularly in California, is that we have so much more understanding and our institutions sometimes reciprocate that. Um, not to say that APAS, the history of APAS is really born out of student activism as well, that it was our predecessors here um, in the late 70s, early 80s who were pushing for a cultural center, student space for them because they recognize that, hey, we're a large proportion of this population here on campus we want services, we want support, we want to be seen somewhere where we don't have to be ashamed of ourselves. Um, and I think that's hard. Even at UC San Diego, where I went to undergrad, um, we had a multicultural center, um, a cross-cultural center. Um, I think I stepped foot in that place maybe three times because I didn't resonate res- resonate with that as much. Um, that wasn't what I thought of myself to be. Um, but that doesn't mean that there weren't folks looking out for me. That doesn't mean that there were other Asian American individuals, staff or faculty, who really um, were foundational in my development as an individual as well. Um, so if you know, you're know you out there at a university and there's no APAS equivalent, there might be other resources available. It's just sometimes harder because you have to search yourself. That it might not always be readily available. You might not always know where it is. You just have to kind of understand that. You can ask other folks where that is um and it's sometimes a convergence of the institution not providing enough and then students not advocating enough for themselves to say hey this is something i need um you know why aren't i'm paying tuition here i i want to be here to not only learn in the classroom but to experience um what the out of classroom what the out of classroom could look like for me when I want to make sure that I fit in, I find a community, I find something that resonates with me. I, I think you bring up a good point as far as the extracurriculars and sort of the outside of the classroom learning. I certainly approached extracurriculars in high school as a means to an end. Mm-hmm. Start a club because it looks better. Yep. Get that title because it looks better, yep. right? And, and And so when students come to USC, you don't necessarily need leadership on your resume no. to get a job. So all these things that are not academic or job-driven seem superfluous or yeah. why would I waste my time yeah. exploring that? And I, I think it's 
important that people recognize. So let, let's just talk numbers here for a little bit. Um, out of the approximately 16,000 undergraduate students here. That's a good number. I'd, um, let's yeah. say it's 16. I think it's 30 something overall. Yeah. That's so about right. let's say about yeah. 16,000, um, about 20% yeah. are identify as Asian American or Asian Pacific American. Yep. Roughly that's 3,000 students. Mm -hmm. Your office has a staff of three. Yep. One to thousand is not a good ratio for the mental, emotional, psychological health of an entire population <laughs> of students, right? So how, how do you, so there are students who are going through what we're talking about, yes. identity and yeah. um, how do I define success and respect yeah. and all these other things that we think that we're going through ourselves, but it turns out that the moment we talk about it, it seems like everybody's going through it. Mm -hmm. What? How do we, I guess, what, what is the message to those students who not, the students who go to school here or other places mm -hmm. that don't feel like they need to identify yeah. Or I'm okay without, yeah. you know, any of this Asian stuff. Yes. I view it in a couple ways. One, I want to be open to anybody to come through our doors at any point in your career as a student, whether it's your first day here and you're ready to go or it's your last day and you're like, something clicked and like, you know what? I want to do something. There's something available. Um, and part of me and part of the reason that I'm always out at our outreach events, at resource fairs and things like that is that I want to make it known that I'm available, that the support systems are here, whether you're ready to access them now or not. Um, for me, it probably would have been after undergraduate until I was able to feel confident enough and comfortable enough to tap into that Asian part of me, that Asian-ness part of me. Um, and I think we might all go through that in some way, shape or form. We might not all do it. Some of, some of us do it earlier than others, but it might be some form of trying not to be Asian and just trying to fit into the majority culture, whatever that looks like for you. Um, and in those spaces, in those cases, um, something else happens that really triggers another sense of, actually, this isn't the right fit for me either. Um, and that's where I found myself. And I, I struggle a lot with that. And I one of my hopes is that I can help students navigate that that can help students at when they're ready um, to come through our doors, to come through our programming, to meet some of my student workers, to meet um, some of our student leaders, to just be like, hey, there's a space, there are folks, there are folks who are just like you trying to figure this out. Um, and that's okay, it's okay to be vulnerable in that space because maybe you just didn't have that exposure or that experience yet. Um, but going back to kind of what you were talking about earlier, the most successful student here on campus is a student who's connected, who's connected to a community, who is feeling like they're participating in something worthwhile for them. It might not be academic always in nature, but for you, is founding a student organization that now is vibrant and they have they're one of the strongest organizations within our umbrella. And for them, those students are finding a space, a family, a place where they can just feel supported, connect with what they are comfortable with and not have to really navigate that um, or feel conflicted in that. And that's a special place to be in. And so for some of our students who come through our doors, they just wanna relax and, you know, we don't have to talk about anything Asian at all. We can just exist here, you know, be like any other student, but be in a place that we're just that much more comfortable as well. And not just the sheer number of students that go to USC, but the immense diversity that exists with even mm -hmm. in the Asian American umbrella, 
which is something that we constantly talk about in the community of we're not a monolith, right? right? And when we constantly get confused for somebody else, yeah, we got a guy running for president, and one you know TV channel keeps putting the wrong picture. Yes, and and I so saw that. <laughs> so how how do you you know uh, as 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 a administrator and as somebody mm-hmm. who faces students, how do we deal with the immense rich experiences where my Asian American experience, even though we check the same box, yes. is different from yours, as different from a woman, yeah. you know, and, and from a different country or even a different state. Yeah. How, how do you is there's no one magic Asian American no. ideal. Fun fact, I always get confused with someone else here on campus. I don't know why. I think I just have a very generic Asian looking <laughs> face. That folks are like, hey, have I met you before? And I'm like, no, you haven't. But I'm happy to introduce myself now. Um and I think it's one realizing that not not trying to speak up for everyone else. Um, I don't I own my own narrative and I own my own experience and I'm not going to speak for someone else's experience until they maybe share that with me and I can incorporate that into my own knowledge and how they exist on this campus, what they're looking for, what are their specific needs. Um, There are about 48 to 50 different ethnic groups under the Asian Pacific American umbrella each with our own history, each within our culture, backgrounds, immigration patterns, why we're here in the United States, what are societal factors that have impacted our community specifically. And each one of us carries that with us to some extent. It might not always be the same, even within ethnic identity um, groups. So a fellow Taiwanese American probably has a very different experience than I do. What we share, although, between all of this is that we, we are tagged and labeled as being Asian American here. Whether you want to or not, when you walk down, we our main parkway, our main our main uh walkway here is called Truesdale Parkway. When you are walking down Truesdale Parkway in front of in front of Tommy Trojan, you're gonna look like you're an Asian American here. To some ex- right. more more or less you're gonna look like you're Asian American. For me it's the way I the way I probably look in terms of my hair color, my eye shape, my eye color. Folks are going to categorize into those spaces. And so how do I simultaneously own that and be okay with that and be proud of that and say, yeah, if you're already going to categorize me like that, then we're going to find solidarity within each other. And then the other part of it is how do I also honor my Taiwanese American experience? How do I honor who I am as an individual in my identities there? And how do I celebrate both? It's not either or. I think it could be both. And that's an important part for any student to be able to experience. Right. I think we, a lot of us who've grown up, you know, we carry this weird burden of having to speak for everybody, Mm -hmm. right? Or you fail and the entire country of Korea fails. (laughs) And it's like, and and that, a lot of us were, you know, told that. It's, you know, you represent all of us. So while, you know, somebody like Aquafina accepting a Golden, you know, Golden Globes Award, Mm. or obviously somebody like Andrew Yang, you know, being on TV every day, that brings us amount of, a tremendous amount of joy. I also think it's important for us to recognize that we aren't actually responsible for everybody else's story, no. nor everybody else's success or failure, right. and not even your own family. Right? But we're going to be tasked with that. Correct. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's a very, you know, uh, a Venn diagram that sometimes yeah. overlaps 100%, sometimes none at all. It, it's fluid, and I think it's important. It's a lesson that it took me a very long time to learn that it's okay to be me, but also understanding that whatever I do represents my family, my parents, you know, my culture, my country, um, both America and Korea. And it's, it's a privilege to be able to be, you know, uh, be dual. Yeah.
what does it mean for Jonathan Wong to be Asian American? Yeah. Um, I think it's for me to be able to define who I want to be in, in my life. Um, that growing up, I, in, with the hindsight of, you know, all that I get to do now and the work that I'm doing, um, I grew up, you know, with some privileges and I grew up with not some privileges. And that is all part of the Asian American fabric in the story that there isn't one type of Asian American out there. And that's okay. And for myself, it took, it was a journey to determine what that looked like for me. And now in the space that I'm in, it's really making sure that the students that I work with, um, the colleagues that I have feel a sense of support, feel a sense of um, compassion and empathy from the space, from me, from my, from my students that I hire, um, that we get to define what that looks like for us. Um, that there's not this external influence of like, well, you should all be doing this and you should all really just focus on, you know, X, Y, and Z because you're hardworking, you're studious. None of that matters. It's about what is the well-being of our students? What are, what are they experiencing on this campus? Um, what are they re whether they realize it or not, there's a sense of marginalization or difference happening on campus still. Um, we're not in a post-racial society. Race still matters. United States is based on a, on race, um, and so for us, how do we got to how do we get to define that a little bit more? How do we get to define that differently? Um, how do uh, another part? Of, we have many layers to our identities. How do I? How do me as an Asian American male determine my masculinity different than what's out there as well? Um, and I think that's important for me because I've always at a younger age was trying to fit in somehow and I probably did some really stupid things but now looking back at it it's was there an external factor pushing me to think that that's what was normal and for me now it's how do I redefine that and make a new normal for me that this is what it means to be an Asian American this is what it means to be an Asian American male this is what it means to be whatever identities I want to add on to there and how do I be a model now for others to speak up, speak out, um, and kind of redefine our, redefine our own communities. Thanks for sharing that. So the title of our show is Dear Asian Americans, and the idea of the show was born as a letter from us or to us, a letter to us from us. Hmm. So finish, finish the sentence. Dear Asian Americans. Hmm. Dear Asian Americans, it's okay to be us. It's okay to look like us, to be successful in the ways that we want to define our success, um, to be vulnerable, to ask for help, and to be in a space that um, we really get to identify and figure out who we want to be in life um, and share in those successes that we have with each other um, and support each other and uplift each other as we go through our individual lives and our lives together as a community. Thank you for sharing all of your wisdom, your knowledge, your perspectives. Um, it means a lot, again, for me to be sitting here. Jeff Murakami, if you're listening, <laughs> thank you. Thanks, Jeff. Um, you brought me in. You, we still talk. Um, you, you've been a great influence in my life. Um, to all my KSA people uh, from back then and now, Yeah. Um, you, you've helped me uh, become the proud Asian American man that I am. Enough to want to start a podcast about Asian Americans. <laughs>
which I never thought that I would want to do or should do or mm. could do, which I think was a realization and a journey still that it's okay for us to share and that I'm not going to wait for anybody else to invite me to come on their show. Yeah. That I'm actually going to create a show and invite everybody I know mm-hmm. whose stories need to be shared, should be shared. Um, and not everybody wants to share their story, but I do believe that there are more people who want to, who need to, but have never been asked. Yeah. So hope this is the beginning of dozens, hundreds, thousands, I don't know, of stories that we can share. Um, for those people listening who want to learn more about what APAS does here, what APAS does here at USC and support, uh, where can we find more about you and more about yeah. the organization? Well, you are always welcome to contact me. I'm, ha- I'm happy to help anybody, even if you're not from USC or affiliated with us. Um, you can check us out on our website, apass.usc.edu. That's A-P-A-S-S.usc.edu. Reach out to me. My contact information is all up there. I'm an open person. I'm happy to help. Awesome. Any final parting thoughts? Um, thanks for having me. Um, initial buddy, JW. <laughs> um, and I appreciate you being here back at your alma mater in this space because I think that's something that I take pride in. It's that we're able to give back and you're coming back here is like a homecoming for us. Thank you. This has been a tremendous journey thus far. I have been telling people that I wanted to start an Asian American podcast for years now. Nice. And today I got to press the red button. So it's meaningful for me. It's fun for me. Um, it's emotional, but looking forward to sharing your stories. And if you want to share your story, if what Jonathan and I have shared today resonates with you, please share with a friend privately or publicly about what you've gone through, what you're going through now. Reach out to me, reach out to Jonathan. There are people who are going through exactly what you're going through now, who have gone through. And maybe we won't completely understand and maybe we won't have the right answers. But the only thing that we can tell you is we've been there. We're still going through there and we will get through this together. Thanks for listening and I will see you guys next time. I hope you enjoyed the conversation that I had with Jonathan on episode one of Dear Asian Americans. I want to thank Jonathan again for making the time to come on the show and share his story and for all the work that he has done for Asian American students at USC present, past, and future. Big thanks again to Justin Park, Peter Hong, Jason Liu, Allison Chang, and the rest of the DAA family for your contributions to this show. Come back tomorrow when we meet Cassandra Lamb from the Cosmos. Check us out on Instagram at Dear Asian Americans and on the web at DearAsianAmericans.com. If you want to come on the show, hit me up. You can find me anywhere you can find the show. Thanks again for tuning in. Signing off on episode one of Dear Asian Americans, this has been your host, Jerry Wan. <laughs>